1: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's Trader Lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, we are live on the front lines of the vaccine rollout. FedEx and UPS critical to shipping the shots. We'll break down how you can play these names straight ahead. Plus, double down on the doubles. Four stocks are up more than 100% from the March bottom. Should you stick with them or fade the big bounce? And later, how about a side of fries with that? McDonald's shares sizzling today. Is this a golden opportunity to bet on the golden arches? we are going to be digging in. But we start off with a major turning point in the fight against the coronavirus. Happening now, the first batches of vaccines are reaching frontline healthcare workers across the U.S. Cities and towns at the ready to receive and deploy the new shots. But the historic rollout comes as America hits another grim milestone. U.S. deaths passing 300,000, hospitalizations continuing to rise. New York City's mayor out with a major warning today that the city should prepare for the possibility for another full shutdown in Boston, just announcing a few hours ago that it is closing gyms and museums. The news giving a bid to the stay-at-home trade, the Nasdaq outperforming the broader market. Check out this chart. As the vaccine rollout gets underway, Goldman Sachs estimating that a majority of Americans will not be inoculated until Q2 of next year. So as of today, help is literally on the way. But is there still a rough road ahead for investors before we reach that other side? Guy. No
2: question about it. I like that. Fries come. What did you say? Does the fries come with that? I mean, that's fantastic. There are a lot a of jokes that. around there. I won't go. Yeah, I won't get into the ones we used to say back in high school in the 1940s. But again, once again, I digress right at the top of the show. I've thought for a long time, you know, one of the things I've said, you can't get there from here and miles to go before I sleep in terms of the vaccine in the second quarter of 2021. The news is fantastic. I think we're all in unanimous uh, agreement that today's news is wonderful in terms of what Pfizer's done and what Moderna's done. But you have to ask yourself, How much has been priced in, something Dan's been saying for a while. Now, listen, one day it is not a trend make, but I'll say a couple things. The reversal in the VIX today, closing at 24 and three quarters, is something to keep an eye on. That 20 and a half level has been support throughout the entire year. Uh, IBB trading to a new all-time high today, sold off late but still closed positive, is something to keep an eye on. Pfizer, we talked about this last week when the news rolled out, you know, 43 had been that level that Dan Nathan had been looking for. Look at how it rejected there. Look at how Pfizer traded today. So there are clearly a lot of things to be concerned about. And the fact that Netflix has had its best day in quite some time, I think is telling you something in terms of of the stay-at-home trade.
1: Yeah, Peloton shares were up. Royal Caribbean shares were down. I mean, it's playbook, Dan Nathan. What did you make of the action?
3: Yeah, pretty interesting. I mean, I think that it was kind of turned around right on the opening and how we closed, yeah. and I think it really speaks to the fact that some of the, the the most you know difficult days are ahead of us right now. When you think about some of the projections of deaths, um, you know, and cases over the next few months, and I think it's really important to remember is that we're all very hopeful about the rollout of um, these vaccines, but there's a lot of answers that that really are, are yet to be. Uh, determined. And, and one of the big ones is talking to people who cover the biotech and the pharma space is specifically, does this vaccine prevent transmission? You know, And so when you look at that Goldman um, estimate about when people or our full country will be inoculated with this vaccine, that's just one piece of the pie. And it's likely to be rosy. And it's likely that we will be wearing masks and distancing and all that sort of stuff for the balance of 2020, 2021. So when I think about what the, the, the risks are for investors here is how much of this enthusiasm about the vaccines has been incorporated in stock prices and valuations, most importantly right here, and how much performance have we pulled forward going forward. So I'm expecting a bit of those answers to come in 2021 and Q1, and it may be a little volatile for equity investors, especially with equity prices where they are right here.
1: Karen, you've been a little bit more optimistic in in recent days uh, regarding the news flow, and especially going into year-end with the seasonality supposedly taking effect. So, So where do you stand? I mean, isn't it enough for the markets to see that things will be relatively better next year compared to this year?
4: I think it's enough for some things. When I look at some other, to me, that news from New York City potentially being in a shutdown, that was pretty negative. And if I think about something like a Macy's, which is somewhat New York centric with Macy's and with Bloomingdale's, I mean, this is bad news for them, for retailers that were hoping for some boost from, you know, in-person stores, you know, it, people being in the stores in the holidays. Th- that would really be some bad news. Overall, I'm more optimistic. The thing that actually freaked me out the most today was this um, this cyber attack i i mean it's I, i don't know what to make of it i don't think you can make anything good out of it i don't feel like we've seen what's what the full fallout will be so that's kind of a black swan type event that has sort of been introduced to the market that i don't think has been priced in the vix today was really pretty subdued for most of the day until the last hour or two so that was that was actually a concern that out of left field that i wasn't expecting which uh, makes me want to own more protection. I'm not going to sell everything and panic or anything like that, but I do want to own more protection with the VIX relatively low.
1: Yeah, Cozy Bear's pretty scary stuff, and we'll get into that with Eamon Javers a little bit later on in the show. But, uh, Tim, in terms of positioning into to year-end, um, how do you make heads or tails of it?
5: By the way, Huggy Bear was a great character on Starsky and Hutch, which I know Guy <laughs> loved. Um, Look, I, I, I think the, the, the law of marginal diminishing returns six Mondays in a row on great vaccine news, although Dan brings up a very relevant uh, science dynamic here uh, about you know have we found another strain? Is there some limit to what vaccines will do? That, that's, that's very scary, although I don't think that's what the market's responding to. I, I think you know the market was up 14 percent in 28 sessions through last Wednesday. I mean, this is this is a market that's been running, running, and, and it's been growth, it's been value, it's been industrial, it's been, it's been reopening, and, and that's largely the way I look at this. Uh, I, I think um, you have a market that, you know even as bad as the news is, and I'm not here to discount how bad it is, it's shocking, it's, it's scary as we go into the holiday season that major cities are about to shut down and what it might mean for a Macy's. But, haven't we already said that 2021 earnings don't matter, and that actually you're not—you know—you're not—you're selling companies when they get to normalized earnings, not buying them. Um, so I, I think this is a, a lot about market dynamics right now. The 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 world is a scary place, but I think we're largely, until otherwise uh, told from the science and medical community, that we have a cure, and it's about getting it out to people uh, in a safe way.
1: Yeah, um, Guy. The longer term picture was highlighted by BlackRock when they increased their equity allocation today to an overweight going into 2021. Um, They say the restart will reaccelerate and that rates will remain low. I mean, it's it's hard to fight those two things which are going to happen. How do you position yourself now with the view of, you know, four months, five months, six months?
2: It's interesting because I think Charlie Munger then came out later in the day, if I'm not mistaken, and said he sees subdued returns over the next, you know, few few years to the next 10 years. So I, mean, I, I think there are a lot of people in a lot of different camps. But to answer your question specifically, I don't think the, listen, I think the names that worked in 2020, the Pelotons, the Zooms, uh, the stay-at-home trade, I think they continue to work in the early part of 2021. By the way, I still think banks can probably continue the trajectory they're on because, I think I might be sort of um, on the other side of this coin. I think rates might get away from the Fed. I think rates might go higher for the wrong reasons, which in the short term will be positive for banks. So early 2021, I think you stay with things that worked, the Pelotons, the Zooms, and Netflix. And I think you stay with the banks that obviously had a difficult day today.
4: Karen, on rates, would you agree? Yeah, I am. I mean, I think that absolutely could happen, that we could see, especially if we get a stimulus rate, and, and the economy starts to heat up, that rates do get away from the Fed. I, don't, I mean, we're a long ways from that, but the, the, it, it's more likely, I think, than not that rates are meaningfully higher in 2021. And I don't know what meaningful is. I don't know, 40, 50 basis points on the 10-year. I think that's quite likely. So that's good for banks. And if it's partly because the economy's heated up, that's good, too.
3: Right. And so that's where I kind of weigh in about the economy we, uh, heating up. It's actually doing the exact opposite thing right now. If you look at those jobless claims numbers that we got last week, um, we're seeing massive deceleration in, in, in jobs growth here. We're seeing weakening consumer spending, weakener, weakening consumer confidence. Um, we're seeing lower savings rates. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so when we were really pricing in $2, 2500000000000 trillion in further fiscal stimulus a few months ago, causing a lot of volatility in the equity markets. When the equity markets were a good bit lower and now we're just going to have some sort of skinny package at a time where the virus is raging, cities are shutting down, mitigation attempts are not going to end in weeks. They may end in months at some point. So if we can't get a Congress and the White House and the Treasury and the Fed to agree on what stimulus looks like. And I'm just saying I'm not saying we need more monetary at this point, but we certainly need some for our most vulnerable citizens and for small businesses, because we may have scar tissue that lasts well into after this vaccine has inoculated all of us. We have unemployment rate at 6.7 percent. That's likely much higher when you take into account all the people who stopped looking for it. So I think it's really easy to be very optimistic here with the S&P 500 up 14% on the year, up 65% from the lows and the Nasdaq up 40%. But really what's going on in the the economy right now and what the fixes are, are very different for the fixes for the markets near term. And that's the thing that I think causes volatility in stocks in 2021.
1: Just quickly to Tim, um, because for every point that Dan had raised, there's also, you can point to surging resource (laughs) prices like copper and steel prices because factories are reopening. I mean, what what is going on, and how how do you think about the economy in the context of inflation and rates?
5: And I think that some of those rising prices and resources are a weaker dollar. I think mm-hmm. some of our better-run companies. I think better supply-demand uh, dynamics in copper, especially. I think even in oil, even though they may not be balanced. So, um, like Dan, Dan is uh, is bringing up very valid points about the world we're living in today. I, I just think that. Um, We're going to have so much demand. I think it's going to be out of control when we get a vaccine and when we come out of the winter. And they're going to coincide with the same thing. I think you're going to have just uh, people are going to be feeling great, you know, in the spring into the summer. And I I think there's so much pent up demand um, that I think that's more what I would be focused on on the other side. It's not to be blind to the. Uh, you know, all of the fears that are existing right now, especially as we go into a holiday period, we're probably this is going to get worse, unfortunately. All right. right, let's talk. Uh, but that's not yeah. what the market does. It discounts the future.
1: Let's talk more about today's market action. Joining us now, Dan Suzuki, deputy chief investment officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. Dan, always good to, to see you. Um, we were debating the kind of economy you should position yourself for in the market. So so which economy do you position your portfolio for?
6: Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I think that um, you know the conversation that you guys have, have just been having is a is a great parallel with, with the way the market's looking at it. I mean, there's this big debate between the here and now, which is clearly getting worse, and next year, which is clearly that outlook is improving. So, which economy do you want to uh, prepare for? I, I don't think you want to go over your skis and go all in on one or the other. But I do think that. You know the most important question for investors is are profits going to be higher six to 12 months from now or are they going to be lower and i think the path of least resistance kind of what tim was talking about is higher that things are going to be better clearly you know this near-term outlook the way i think about it is you know the worse the near-term pain gets, the harder it is for the market to look through it so i think that you do want to have some of those risk balanced in your portfolio that's what we're still holding but most importantly we are trying to position for the companies that are gonna benefit and drive that profit growth next year.
5: Hey, Dan, it's Tim, thanks for joining us. So you, you speak of the risk spouse and you speak of those companies that will drive growth next year. I, I you know, what sectors do you wanna be in? We've talked about
6: some of the cyclicality, we've talked about banks being cheap. What do you guys care about? Yeah, so since April, we've been adding some of those, uh, that cyclicality to the portfolio. We've been adding energy, material, materials, international small caps most recently you know u.s small cap value um you know these are the types of things that we're adding to the portfolio along with credit those are all the investments that are going to benefit from that improving growth outlook next year but if you look at some of the, the the other stuff we hold in the portfolio we do have a little bit of that barbell in that we're overweight healthcare, we're overweight staples we still have gold in the portfolios and you know, if you're worried about those risks that Dan was talking about, you know, China actually doesn't have a lot of those risks as they don't have a COVID crisis and they don't have a fiscal cliff. So in a lot of ways, they can be considered defense today as well.
2: Dan, a weaker dollar has been a tailwind for multinationals. At at a certain point, does it become a headwind for the broader market?
6: No, I don't think so, uh, Guy. I think that... um, you know, uh, clearly a stronger dollar you have to watch out for, but that's clearly not the case today. When it pertains to the weaker dollar, I think what matters is what's driving that weaker dollar. And, and the fact is, the, what the big driver of that weaker dollar is the fact that, you know, P, the market is starting to price in that recovery next year. So I don't think that that becomes a uh, headwind to uh, anything where they were seeing uh, in the markets today.
1: Dan, thank you for joining us. Uh, Jesse, the dog, liked your appearance as well. Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein, advisors. So I'll go to Karen since Jesse seems to have a lot to say. He walked out of the room, I think. Um, would you would you consider China being defensive? I mean, you were looking for some protection in your portfolio, and traditionally for you, that means the options market. But could you see China as playing that role?
4: I guess. Although I think you're taking on other you're taking on other risks as well. So, for example, you know, trade tensions. Um, getting worse, something like that, you would be buying that bet as well. But I do think it's instructive to look at China and the bounce back, as Dan was talking about, you know, the bounce back there, and, you know, it's not a giant leap to think we could have a similar type of quick and sharp recovery. I think we will.
1: Coming up, the coronavirus vaccine is on the move, but it's not as simple as it sounds. How are the first shipments and deliveries going? A live report on just that next. And later, looking for a bright spot in the oil patch, we got one name that could be fueled for gains. That trade and much more ahead on Fast Money. Welcome back to Fast Money. The vaccine rollout underway across America at this hour, and shipping giants FedEx and UPS are at the center of it all. Let's get to Frank Holland live at the UPS World Port facility in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I I almost flipped your states, Frank. Frank.
8: (laughs) Hey there, Melissa. You know, more than 140 shipments of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine are being delivered all around the U.S. today by UPS and FedEx. More than 630 of those shipments will be made this week a total of 2.9 million doses and many of those doses will be flown around the country in 747s like the one i'm standing at here at ups's Worldport air hub and also in containers like the one you see right here behind me now the first shipments of this vaccine they were dedicated to just the medicine but going forward vaccines and things like christmas presents and other items they're generally going to be shipped on the same planes and on the same trucks Earlier today, we saw some of the first deliveries. One was made at Boston Medical Center in Boston by FedEx this morning, UPS making a delivery at the University of Louisville Hospital. The heads of the vaccine effort for both companies say they have the capacity and the technology to handle the life-saving medicine and Christmas presents being shipped at the same time and still deliver both on time. We plan for much bigger volume than we're seeing even next week. So next week just happens to be our peak week. So uh, we're hoping that as we hit the real peak in vaccines, our Christmas peak will have fallen off. And Melissa, of course, we had to ask both UPS and FedEx about that storm that's heading towards the East Coast. Both say that they have contingency plans in place should the weather get really severe. But of course, their first priority is the safety of their employees. Back over to you.
1: All right, Frank, thank you. Frank Holland. Uh, Tim, we've already heard from UPS who limited shipments from certain customers in order to prioritize others to make sure they make deliveries on time. So it sounds like they're actively managing that flow um, into the peak week.
5: They are. And FedEx will give us uh, announcements on the 17th. So we're going to hear about their fiscal Q2 after a pretty strong fiscal Q1. And I think the UPS conversation was not really that big news. or I don't think we should have paid a ton of attention to it because those capacity conversations were ones that were well flagged. Um, I think the story about FedEx you know, buying ShopRunner and, and again, uh, e-commerce platform and the vertical integration involved and, and, frankly, where UPS has probably been ahead of FedEx, I think these are all interesting dynamics. I think, you know, speaking to owning shipping stocks in the holiday season, I, I, think there's, look, there's, I think there's more negative than positive risk here, especially for stocks that have had a huge, huge run. Uh, but what we're seeing out of FedEx and UPS and pick your poison, I, I'm, I'm long FedEx is is you know, or multi-year trends that I think are are actually improving in terms of their efficiency and how they're able to handle this holiday uh, you know, surge. I, I think is something we're still waiting to see. I
1: think pick your poison, guy, is a proposed name that you wanted to give. Um, yeah, would you rather? So I'll give it to you. <laughs> UPS or FedEx? Pick your poison.
2: Well, I mean, I know us, the, the good folks at UPS, and I consider myself one of them. We always put our safety first as we do for our customers so i know we're focused on this storm coming up on wednesday but if i had to pick between the two it would be ups i just happen to think it's probably a better run company at this point and the stock to me fedex had a huge run it's probably should be trading where it is now but it's caught up to where ups was i think ups is the way to play it but off the board for five hundred melissa i think if you really want to play these this this situation we find ourselves in, it's with medical device companies. Medtronic has sold off a bit. I think that's really interesting. Even at J&J in that space is interesting, although it's had trouble at 155 a number of times over the last six months.
1: Just quick, how long ago did you, quote unquote, work at UPS? Because we've been getting plenty of mileage out of that uh, stint, if you will.
2: Well, I hope you're playing the video now. No, it was you know it just seems like yesterday. It was such a great time in my life at UPS, but it was probably eight or nine years ago, as it turns (laughs) out, Melissa.
1: (laughs) Made a lasting impression, apparently. Uh, We've got much more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
8: More than 180 stocks in the S&P
2: 500 have at least doubled off their March lows. How should you trade or fade these names? We'll break that down next. Plus, Dropbox shares on the move. Is this name heading to the clouds? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration
1: That is the number of stocks in the S&P 500 that have at least doubled off their marked lows. Check out these monster moves in names like Etsy, United Rentals, NVIDIA, and Whirlpool, all up triple digits percentage-wise. So we thought this would be the perfect time to play a little game of...
4: Trade it or fade it!
1: That's right. Trade it or fade it. The double edition. Uh, Guy is a veteran at this game, as as you all are. Uh, we kick things off with you there. Etsy is up more than 460% since the March low. Trade it or fade it. Guy, downey.
2: Well, I would rather play wrap it or scrap it, and I'm absolutely wrapping it with a W. And it makes sense because Etsy's been the gift that keeps on giving. I understand valuations are ridiculous, but just look at the last quarter. Look at their active buyers. Look at the growth there. Jim Cramer had, I think, Josh Silverman on the end of October said they still have tremendous upside in terms of where he sees the company. So despite valuation, I think you trade it and wrap it at the same time.
1: Um, Dan, as I understand it, do you do you not like or, or perhaps hate Etsy?
3: I don't hate it, but I, I'm not a buyer here. I'm fading this thing. And, and let me just tell you, let, let's go back and look at um, really where where Etsy came from, and it's really from eBay, if you think about it. You know, eBay is a $34 billion market cap company. Etsy is $21 billion, um, trading at, what, uh, 13 times sales. I mean, it just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Their sales grew this year 100% year over year. There's supposed to be single-digit growth next year. I just don't see it. I think it's as good as it gets for a while on Etsy. And if we're playing another game called Would You Rather, I'd rather swap into eBay and maybe we see some of these trends kind of take hold as we go into 2021.
1: What's going on tonight? We're playing a game, we're playing trade it or fade it. Simple, simple, simple. All right, we're gonna move on. Uh, Next up, United Rentals gaining 305% since its bottom hit in March. So Karen, I know you'll play this right. Trade it or fade it, simple question.
4: Okay, trade it. You know, I do protest trade it as being I'm a buyer, but I am long, so that would make me trade it. You know, obviously, the stock has rebounded a lot. It never should have been where it was in the March low. They do have some debt that people, I guess, got a little afraid of at that time. Debt is not in any way an issue for them. They're on the lower side of where they want to be in terms of their debt to uh, EBITDA ratio. They'd actually like to run the business higher. So I'm optimistic on growth. Obviously, the stock run gives me a little bit of pause, but I'm staying long. I think also we've got some other good news from uh, AshTed, which is Sunbeam, their U.S. division, direct comp. Um, They reported decent earnings. Herc reported decent. I I think that I'm staying long. So that's a trade it. All right. We're going to put a pause here on this. We've got some breaking
1: news. We want to get straight to Kayla Towshey for that. Kayla.
0: Melissa, the Secretary of State for the state of California has just tallied the votes of the state's 55 electors for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, now officially the president elect and the vice president elect, after surpassing the threshold of 270 electoral votes, now certified by the Electoral College across the country uh, to be president elect. Those votes will be delivered to the United States Congress and counted on January 6th, which is the next date that we are watching. Meanwhile, allies of Of president trump and the trump campaign have vowed to continue fighting and assemble alternate slates of electors in the unlikely if not impossible scenario uh, that there is a court victory that recognizes or reverses some of these tallies in battleground states melissa
1: hasn't president trump said that he would respect the decision of the electoral college
0: he did. He said that on Thanksgiving yeah. Day, that if the Electoral College backed President-elect Joe Biden, that he would recognize that, even though he said at that time that he believed that if the Electoral College did that, that they'd be making a huge mistake. But just this morning, Stephen Miller, who works in the White House but was appearing in uh, a campaign capacity, uh, said that they would continue fighting right up until Inauguration Day on January 20th and that they are trying to assemble these alternate slates of electors um in the, as I said, unlikely, if not impossible scenario, uh, that there is some long shot avenue to victory for them.
1: Kayla, thank you. Kayla Towshey, keeping us up to date. Uh, It is official, Tim Seymour. I think the markets largely expected this. um, And so could you foresee any reaction tomorrow?
5: No, I I, I think this is, uh, you know, Unlikely, if not impossible is where this stands. Uh, Long shot. I mean, you know, this isn't even I I don't think markets. Again, let's focus on markets are even focused on on this being a dispute. You know, there are things that could happen that could be a a risk for markets and certainly could be troubling and add to volatility uh, in terms of uh, opposition. But but let's be clear. This is uh, the the markets have moved on. uh, And maybe that's the message.
1: All right, let's get back to uh, trade it or fade it and talk about the stocks that have doubled since the March bottom. We want to get to NVIDIA. This is a big one, rallying almost 200 percent since lows this year. Dan, trade it or fade it?
3: Yeah, listen, I, I'm, gonna, this is, I'm not going to play the game again. I, near term, it looks like a trade. It looks like it gets back up to those prior highs. Longer term, it's a fade. I mean, this is a $330 billion market cap company up over 200% trading at like 20 times sales. It's not sustainable. It's also becoming a bit of a roll-up. They're doing a lot of things great. But, I mean, the, you know, I guess the easy money has been paid at this point. So, you know, I don't even know what I am. I'm faded, I guess. <laughs> I, I, you know, I show. can't
2: even, I even know how to respond to that, because I, I don't heard. know. I mean, it's play the game by the rules like <laughs> I do. I'm wrapping this Sorry. sucker, which means I'm trading this. And, you know, the stock went from 590 down to 515, so you saw the sell-off already. You've seen sell-offs like that before in NVIDIA over the years, and each time it's been a huge opportunity. I think that's what we're seeing now. And, both, by the way, just take a look at a name like Xilinx, for example, on a lousy tape today. That stock traded up to 150. And I bring it up because it's significantly through the AMD bid. I think it was 143 or so. These stocks continue to be in play. I think they go higher. So I'll play the game right, Mel.
1: Trade it. You you haven't this whole time. You were talking for like three (laughs) minutes on on (laughs) NVIDIA. And you were not playing at all by the rules. And you threw in a self-would-you-rather. So I feel like tonight we are going to look back and say that was the night that trade it or fade it died. We're going to look back, and this is going to be a historical night on Fast Money. Tim Seymour, we're going to move on, though. We'll see if you want to play or if you want to be part of the mutiny here. Whirlpool, spinning more than 180% higher since March, traded or faded?
5: Look, there is no I in the word, Tim, and and I'm going to play this game (laughs) as it's supposed to be played. Uh, I'm not going to scrap it. I'm not going to crave it. I'm not going to do all these other things. Uh, I'm actually going to trade it. And Whirlpool is, to me, one of the ways you play the housing sector. This is a story where I think you have uh, a, an enormous pent-up demand. I think you have a valuation mostly right now that still makes a lot of sense, and you have operating margins that are improving. I, I think the supply chain dynamics were a concern early on. I think they've worked through most of this. I think this housing trade is in the middle innings, um, so you trade this one.
4: Yeah. There's no I and Tim, or no, me, no me and Seymour either. But ha- that having been said, I agree with <laughs> everything else that Tim said. I agree with the story. I agree the multiple is not crazy. People think, oh, they've, you know, they've pulled forward all the demand. I agree that there are other there are geographies, Latin America, for example, where you know things are improving. I don't believe it's all been pulled forward. And uh, I like it right here. Since, the, major-
1: since the majority of you guys don't like this game, we're going to play a bonus round. AT&T is up 17 percent, which sounds pretty decent, but only 10 other stocks in the S&P 500 have done worse since the March bottom in the entire index. So, Tim, since you're the only one who played it right, played it straight, what do you say?
5: And I'll I'll play it straight and right again. And I'll tell you that AT&T is something I would like to Trade, this underperformance is a function of many things, but people have forgotten the media assets that are part of the sum of the parts, which makes AT&T very attractive. Uh, The 7% dividend yield is not why you own this, but the underperformance has something to do with, uh, obviously, what's going on in the wireless and in the prepaid. But um, I think that is a less competitive environment than it used to be. Uh, And I like AT&T here, and I think the low-rate environment also is good for a company with a lot of debt.
1: All right. By the way, if you're looking to trade some of the other stocks that have done the worst since the March lows, check out our story on CNBC, CNBC Pro. We have a list of names that could benefit the most when the economy reopens. Meantime, coming up, a U.S. government agency is hacked by foreign cyber espionage. Who is suspected to be behind this attack and who is at risk? The details next, plus crude oil gushing to a nine-month high as the COVID vaccine rolls out. Will this momentum continue? The trade's ahead. So stay with us. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of Washington. The National Security Council confirming to NBC News that it is investigating a cyber hack affecting the Treasury Department and a unit of the Commerce Department. Let's get straight to Eamon Javers, who has the latest at this hour. Eamon.
9: Yeah, Melissa. Today, the Russians are denying that they are behind this cyber attack on the U.S. government and a number of companies across the country. But experts I talked to today says this attack uh, has all the hallmarks of a Russian attack because this is the type of information that the Russians have been good at gathering in the past. How they allegedly did it this time uh, is crucial here because the company involved is a company called Solar Winds. Now, that's not a company that most people will have heard of, but your IT department probably has heard of them. They provide network management software that government agencies and a lot of companies around the world use. The, the hackers here allegedly got into SolarWinds, and that company now put out a notice to 33,000 of its customers alerting them to this hack. They say uh, just around 18,000 or just under that number uh, may have had the specific vulnerability that allowed the attackers to get inside here. Uh, the Experts are saying that this hack could affect uh, hundreds of Fortune 500 companies, FireEye, the cybersecurity Melissa, the cybersecurity company Melissa is now notifying companies that it has determined have been impacted by this hack. FireEye says it was one of those companies uh, that was involved in this hack. We learned that news last week. What we're being told now is that this attack began in the spring of this year and remained undetected for months and months as whoever these attackers were, were able to get inside these networks uh, and have what one expert told me was godlike access to all of their infrastructure data, uh, access to their emails, all sorts of information exfiltrate that information out before being detected uh, just this past week, Melissa. So we're still learning a lot more detail about this. And I suspect we'll learn more federal agencies and more companies in the days uh, and weeks to come that were affected by this.
1: And it seems, Eamon, like we we are going to learn in the months and maybe years to come what information was stolen uh, in this massive hack. Right.
9: Yeah. Yeah, look, this is reminiscent of the Chinese hack of the Office of Personnel Management where you get this huge data cache, and then you can spend years exploiting that Mm -hmm. and figuring out what it is that you know about the the deep inner workings of these companies and these government agencies. When you think about the data that's inside the Treasury Department, uh, the good news is, at least, you know, if you're looking for silver linings here, this seems just to be an intelligence operation. This seems just to be about gathering information, not about disrupting these systems. So while the information may have been compromised, there's no indication, at least as of right now, that whoever the attacker was here is trying to disrupt the Treasury Department or disrupt these companies that have been affected. They're simply trying to understand as much information as they can uh, and then presumably use that to their advantage uh, in the years to come, as you say.
1: Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in Washington with the very yeah. latest on this uh, developing story. Uh, Guy Dami, SolarWinds is a publicly traded company. SWI is a ticker symbol, it's down 16% today. FireEye was hacked last week. Um, a lot of analysts were saying that this could be a real threat because, I mean, obviously if the cybersecurity company is hacked, <laughs> what kind of faith do your customers have in your ability to defend them against attacks?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Bingo card's been the uh, buzzword this year, and I clearly didn't have FireEye getting hacked on mine. But with that said, Palo Alto Networks made an all time high today, I believe. And I think we've been right to highlight these cyber names for sure. And I happen to think, by the way, the sell off down to 13 and a quarter or so in FireEye probably needs to be bought. But again, the fact that they got hacked, I mean, can't give you a lot of, um, can't make you feel good. And I, I like the fact that EJ's trying to paint this in a rosy picture. I think this is a huge existential threat um, to markets, and I just don't think markets are paying enough attention to it. Maybe I'm wrong, but the fact this has been going on in the spring and we're not just finding out about it now, I mean, to me, that's somewhat disconcerting.
1: Think about how many months uh, this entity had those godlike powers that Eamon was talking about. SolarWinds, by the way, services 400 of the 500 Fortune 500 companies. Karen, you're worried enough where you think that this could be like a black swan event for the markets.
4: Yeah, it theoretically could. I mean, the the market was down this little amount today. doesn't seem adequate. I think, you know, I'm surprised SolarWinds actually wasn't down more. Um, I I think, I'm curious how it was detected and if there's any way to know uh, what kind of data. I hear what Eamon Jabbers was saying about just, you know, learning as opposed to disrupting something. We don't know that they would use that information in the future to disrupt something. So I don't know. It kind of... uh, I do think it's a bigger tail risk than we thought. It probably, it it has always been a tail risk. We just didn't know it, that it was, you know, it could be this pervasive a hack. So I I think, you know, owning some more protection for a big move, not a little move, not like down three or 5%, but down like 10%. Imagine just, you know, if they get in the way of the Treasury Department uh, functioning properly for a brief amount of time, that'd be terrible.
1: Um, Let's get back to Eamon Jairus in Washington. We've got some breaking news. Eamon.
9: Yeah, Melissa, this is a tweet from the president of the United States saying that the attorney general, Bill Barr, is leaving his job sooner than the end of the Trump administration. The president saying that Barr will leave before Christmas and quote spend the holidays with his family. The president saying that he's had a very nice meeting with Attorney General Bill Barr at the White House today. His, he says our relationship has been a very good one. He has done an outstanding job. That said, the president goes on to say that Deputy Attorney General Jeff Rosen, an outstanding person, will become acting Attorney General, highly respected Richard Donahue, will be taking over the duties as Deputy Attorney General. Thank you to all, says the President of the United States. This comes on the heels of reports that the President was extraordinarily frustrated with Barr uh, because Barr would not go along with the President's claims uh, that there was fraud in the presidential election in 2020. Barr came out uh, in an interview with the Associated Press and said that the Department of Justice had not been able to find evidence of fraud that would move the needle in terms of the outcome of the election at the same time that the president was claiming that there was such fraud the president was said behind the scenes to be extraordinarily frustrated with barr over that issue. And then again, in recent days, frustrated with his attorney general because it turned out uh, that the Department of Justice had been engaged in an investigation, at least as far as we know, into the tax situation surrounding President-elect Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, and that Barr did not make any public comment about that during the election season. The Department of Justice historically has been wary of making any comments about investigations that could move the needle uh, in an election season. The president... uh, Was reported to have felt as if Barr should have said something about that during the election. Uh, That might have made the difference politically for the president. Uh, He felt uh, that Barr did the wrong thing there. And now, uh, this announcement that they had a very amicable meeting today at the White House, but nonetheless, Barr is out before the end of his term, Melissa. Back over
1: to you. Eamon, thank you. It looks like Barr will leave the office December 23rd, and he says the Justice Department will continue to pursue allegations of voter fraud. Uh, Coming up, crude stocks are running out of energy today, but our next guest sees one name that is about to power higher. We'll tell you what is on the other side of this quick break. Welcome back. Crude oil on a wild ride today after OPEC slashed its global oil demand forecast for next year. The organization citing harsher coronavirus crackdowns across the globe. Energy is still the worst performing sector this year, but our next guest says there is one name in the space that is fueling up for some gains. Let's welcome back Kate Fattis, CEO of Grace Capital. Kate, great to see you again. Um, You're looking at Chenier Energy. What's your top
7: reason uh, to be in Chenier? So, okay. bottom line, the world needs energy. Okay, so there's an de- energy demand story, and then there's the Chenier money story. Okay, we all want energy to come from renewable sources, but this is not possible. Okay, we need an SRC balance, sustainability and reliability and cost. Uh, energy, uh, uh, gas, natural gas is the way. LNG can play the role. Chenier exports LNG globally. If you can believe it, Melissa, 25% of energy globally still comes from coal. Imagine natural gas replacing all of that. Uh, So uh, that's the energy story. In terms of Chenier, pay a 7% growing dividend, they probably went through the worst environment for energy this year and they made it. Valuation is cheap, the fundamentals are good, there's no commodity price risk. These are take-or-pay contracts, okay? that means they get paid no matter what. There's no volume risk. There's mm-hmm. no price risk. So that, that's why I like Shadir.
1: Right. And that 7 percent dividend is therefore covered. Karen, uh, you've looked at this name in the past.
4: Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, so I hear what you're saying about take or pay contracts and um, that that's a steady stream of income, which is good and investors like. But what about the longer term the Biden administration? If they're against fracking, then we'll see um, you know, maybe the supply of natural gas available to be in a pipeline or ship uh, decreases. Does that
7: worry you at all? Not in the least, you know, we have, the U.S. is awash in natural gas. We probably have a hundred year supply of natural gas, fracking or no fracking. So uh, natural gas, and it's really cheap. Natural gas is like really cheap right now. Um, so it's not something that keeps me up at night.
1: Do you have to believe, Kate, in the overall energy story in order to believe in Chenier? Or or can you see the sector overall, um, you know, sputtering a little bit, if you will, if there
7: are more lockdowns in place? In the short term, yes, you can see that. Bottom line, the world needs energy. I would love for it to all come from solar, wind, biomass, we're not there yet and we're not going to be there for a while so you need energy natural gas is better than coal natural gas is better than oil um and that's why i think chenere is the the way to play it okay and again you don't want to you, you're not worried about the price of oil going up going down what's going to happen What's you know OPEC, this that no nope.
1: okay Kate, great to see you thank you thank you kate faddis of grace capital guy dobby what do you think of lng
2: I get the argument, and Bank of America, I think, just upgraded the stock a few weeks ago to buy from neutral, put a $61 price target on it. And maybe it gets up to 62.5, where we broke down from earlier this year. Um, but I think that, listen, there's no easy money in anything, but I think a lot of the easy money has been made in the run up. I think it fails at 62.5, 63.
5: Yeah. Tim? I, tell you, I like the story. Uh, I think largest contracted growth, I think MLPs, especially those like Chenier, that don't need to raise equity financing anytime soon, um, as far as I can see, are, are very interesting plays, especially in a world where I think we've at least worked through some of this imbalance. We're, we're gonna continue to have an imbalance, but uh, uh, like the Cheniere story.
1: All right, let's move on and take a check on shares of Dropbox heading for the clouds once again today, up nearly 5%. This is a third straight session. The stock has posted gains. Let's bring in Mike Co, who spotted some unusual options activity in the name. Um, Mike, we highlighted this during Friday's edition full show of Options Action, which I know everybody out there watched, um, but we saw some uh, pretty interesting activity then, too.
2: Yeah, I, I hope they did, because you know one of the things we talked about was the potential price target. There's obviously some speculation about a deal there. And where we saw a lot of the activity today, it traded more than five times its average daily options volume. And calls outpaced puts by more than 5 to 1 was the 24 strike calls that expire this coming Friday. Over 20,000 of those traded. They were trading for about 60 cents. Buyers of those calls are obviously speculating that the stock could actually continue through that strike. That would represent an increase of perhaps another 5%. And they were rep- they were you know, risking a little less than 3% of the current stock price to make that bet. Generally, after you see a deal announced, you'll start to see some upside call sellers on or around the target takeout price. But right now, they're still speculating on further upside.
1: Yeah, and obviously Salesforce Slack was really reigniting uh, some of the software takeover chatter, Dan.
3: Yeah, Dropbox and Box, these would be great features on a larger platform to cross-sell. Um, you know, Dropbox, obviously, there's room up to 30 and, and as far as valuation on a deal um, or possibly higher. So to me, those both of those names make sense right here.
1: All right. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Co. for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out McDonald's. Topping the tape today, the fast food stock sizzling higher on an upgrade to buy at UBS. The name is just about flat over the past month. Um, Guy, there were a number of reasons why this analyst in particular was so excited about McDonald's sort of reaccelerating after this lull, including things like spicy chicken nuggets and the McRib.
2: Yeah, well, listen, without giving away my final trade, I'm so with this UBS analyst. Obviously, the stock has sold off from a prior all-time high. I think they're picking the right time to upgrade this name. Performed well on a lousy tape. They think comps are going to come back again. I agree. Again, without giving too much away, I like what they did here at <laughs> MCD, Mel.
1: Is your final trade McDonald's? Uh, we'll, we'll find out in just a few seconds. Uh, Tim, you, you've owned McDonald's.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not giving anything away when I say that that I think McDonald's is a long-term holding in any portfolio. Not because the dividend yield and the structural, you know, kind of foundation of the company, but because they've stayed with the times. They've actually upgraded. Uh, and the cool factor at McDonald's is less important then kiosk, digital, uh, more helpful food, and evaluation in that space that isn't the most expensive relative to peers. I like it. They are
1: pretty well positioned during a pandemic, Karen, in terms of all their drive-throughs.
4: They are, well, I mean, they've had a little trouble, I guess, with breakfast, but I think digital has been great for them. They've just been continually transforming their business. They deserve a premium multiple. I don't think it's that expensive. I mean, it's similar to me to Starbucks, same thing great job with their digital business. It's expensive, but it deserves to be expensive. Both great companies. Dan, your take?
3: Yeah, I mean, the things pulled back here. It was kind of primed for a little bit of a bounce. I don't think it traded that well um, on a change of sediment. It kind of feels like there's probably room below 200 here. And it's also the opposite side of that work from home, stay from home trade. So when things reopen, you're going to see people going upstream a little bit on this
1: one. All right, time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
5: It may sound like a broken record, but with AT&T, any re-rating of those media assets, especially with the catalyst around the HBO Max and feature films, is very important for this company. It's underperformed. Why not own it?
1: Dan.
3: Yeah, I like Mike's uh, highlighting of Dropbox, but I like Box here better here. I see a move back up to 22 bucks.
4: Karen. Yeah, I'm taking a playbook from Trade It or Fade It where we said trade Whirlpool, which I like. Not expensive here. I like the housing.
1: Guy Dami, what kind of bottle were you just opening? Sorry, it was
2: was a large bottle of vodka. My daughter's cooking dinner. I apologize. That's COVID, age of COVID.
1: McDonald's, (laughs) MCD! What a guess I had. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money starts right now.